Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and I just want to wish you a very happy Valentine's Day. This is a special episode because we're going to focus on a place that I think, it, as you're listening to this, it's too late to make a Valentine's Day reservation for this year. It's not too late for next year, and it's definitely not too late to make a reservation anytime you want to have a great date night or just have a great meal. I'm talking to two individuals from one of Omaha's newer steakhouses, the Committee Chop House, inside the Kimpton Cottonwood Hotel today. Um, We recently, my wife and I recently had an opportunity to dine there. Everything about the meal was stunning, from just the the silky Chateaubriand steak to the flaming baked Alaska, and the ambiance was unlike anything I've found in Omaha so far. And as we worked our way through this meal, I just knew I had to meet some of the people behind this food and who made this happen. So I've got two of them today. John Ansa, Jason Sirwa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us. We're yeah, really excited to be, be here. here. Yeah, absolutely. All Thanks right. For the nice words. Yeah, that was great. What, a, what an intro. Ah, I try. <laughs> so, okay. So because we've got multiple voices here and just to help differentiate and help listeners recognize who's who, I'd like each of you to introduce yourself, your position, and talk about how long you've worked at the Cottonwood Hotel. Sure, I'll start. My name is uh, John Ansa. I'm the uh, director of food and beverage. I've been at the Kitten Cottonwood for uh, about four and a half months now, so the new kid on the block. Uh, my name is Jason Sirwa. I'm the executive chef at the Cottonwood Hotel. Uh, I've been at the hotel pretty much since day one. Uh, I was actually the chef of the committee chop house to begin with and was promoted in June to executive chef, so almost 15 months now there. Okay. Now, I would love for each of you guys to break your roles down a little bit further because I think it's sure. it's impressive to to hear those titles, but the majority of the population probably does not know what the director of food and beverage yeah, does. Sure, like it sounds awesome, but the, <laughs> then they're like, okay, well, what what does that mean? So, what what does the director of food and beverage do? Well, I'll I'll break it down real simply. It's really a it's a, it's a senior operations. Uh, position. So anyone that's familiar with our operation. So we, I oversee all of the, the food and beverage department. So meaning I oversee the restaurants, uh, our banquets, uh, our, our culinary team, and then our front of the house team, which is anyone's not familiar with that term, that would be any restaurant managers and servers. So uh, like I said, yeah, you, I am, uh, I guess, the top of the, the person at the pile when it comes to operations. So I, over, I, I, I focus on things like generating top line revenue and controlling our cost and, and, uh, and you know, making sure that flows to the bottom line. But also, too, you know, the guest experience. So when it comes to the dining outlets, it's all about what experience are they having and, and, and how's it going and, and what are we trying to curate for them at the Kimpton Cottonwood. So I could go on and on, but that would give you, I guess, a Reader's Digest version of what my job is. Fair enough. Yeah, mine's a little more self-explanatory, but uh, in general, just uh, overall in charge of culinary operations, uh, menu development, concept design, uh, just day-to-day operations, You know, making sure that Everyone is where they're supposed to be, and, and, and building a team and, and keeping them, keeping them going. So that's that's pretty much my day to day. A lot of financial stuff too. And, yeah. You know, so it's a it's a different beast than a lot of restaurants I've worked on in the past. Can you unpack that? What do you mean by that? Uh, just in a hotel setting, there's just a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, banquets obviously uh, is a huge portion of our our work there. Uh, so that's something that's fairly new to me, but. Just having multiple restaurants, multiple uh, people in, in different areas is, is a lot more to manage than just your standalone mom-and-pop restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear for the listeners, a lot of the conversation that we're going to have today is probably going to be more focused on the committee chop house, which sure. is the, the steakhouse um, down in the lower portion of the hotel. But there are several other eating establishments, drinking establishments within the hotel. There's the Cottonwood Room, mm-hmm. which is just gorgeous. Thank you. We love it. There's yeah. the Orleans Room. Obviously, there's private dining. There's a pool club. You mentioned um, there's uh, banquets as yep. well. So mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of different aspects to this than main, maybe what we're going to focus on today. Um, so you guys both kind of unpacked your roles there. What is your relationship like? Like, how do you work together to make this all happen? Um, like a Starsky and Hutz relationship, right? Yeah. <laughs> that be good. But uh, really, uh, it's a it's a great it's a great relationship in the sense of that we we operate as uh, independent, 
uh, from each other a little bit that we're, you know, Jason's very talented executive chef. I, I'm going to give myself a compliment, say that I, I have some it. talent as director of food and beverage, but so we're, we're independent in, in, in certain ways. And then we also kind of come together in other ways, but we really work uh, very closely together, just curating a, uh, a, a, food and beverage experience, uh, for our guests and, and then also work together on, uh, on financials as well too. So I, like I said, there's independence from each other, but there's, we also rely on each other an executive chef and a director of food and beverage. Although like if you looked at a, a chart, it would be a director of food and beverage overseas an executive chef, really the relationship, it has to be, has to be a strong team. So you take any dynamic duo, uh, and that's really what, the success of a food and beverage department or any, and a restaurant, uh, you know, can comes down to is what's their relationship like? And is there, uh, is there confidence and support for one another, but is also there, is there just an ability to let, let that person be themselves as well too. So I think although me and Jason are only four and a half months into this kind of partnership, we already have a mutual respect and, and, uh, and a kind of a respect for each other's abilities. So that's what I see so far. Yeah. Since day one, uh, you know, it's been a struggle, um, for the hotel from a, a front of house sense, especially with COVID, the pandemic and everything uh, like that. And, you know, obviously starting a new endeavor as, as large as a hotel, uh, it was really hard to find good talent, right? And, and we actually went through a couple of food and beverage directors yeah, there yeah. over the time. And, you know, they just didn't really fit in. It was just kind of some more old school guys that, you know, just didn't really feel like part of the team. And it just, it, did, it didn't mesh. And then John came in, he's, he's, you know, younger guys got good energy and good ideas. And I, I think finally now we're starting to hit our stride. All right. I just feel the need to point out that John is easily the best dressed <laughs> guest that has ever I been on this for, podcast. I dressed for the podcast. He is, <laughs> is wearing like a brilliant suit. Normally Thank I'm you, lucky if I can get my guests to put on like jeans and a sweatshirt. So I just got to, got to give a shout out, especially for Thank the listeners you. who can't see it. John looks fantastic. I appreciate that. So John, you and I actually got uh, a chance to speak a little bit before, um, before the podcast talk off the mics a little bit. Absolutely. Um, the Cottonwood hotel is a revitalized version of the the historic Blackstone Hotel. Yes. This is a very important part of Omaha. And when we were talking before, you called the Cottonwood Hotel an ode to what Omaha is, a nod to the past, present, and future of the city. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a pretty big statement. It can, is. Can you kind of dig into what you meant when you said that? Yeah, well, you know, the start, I, I think the Blackstone Hotel originally, and I'm, what I mentioned to you, is, uh, Dan, is when you go to the committee restaurant in the Cottonwood Room, it's littered with photographs of all the influential and powerful and famous people that came to the Blackstone Hotel. So in the beginning, the Blackstone Hotel started off with, it was a, it was a mecca for, for, for business and for culture and for for like exuberance and so really it was a it was a power center and I think when they started redesigning the Black Center and bringing that back you know the, the hotel really represents that so I think that's how it started and then it was obviously dormant for a while and now that it's back our three owners are all our locals and and they really want to bring the power and the the elegance of what it was uh, back and they want to make the uh, it's the it's the centerpiece of the Blackstone district and I think they want to grow that district. So that, that hotel is such a large piece of it. I mean, anyone that's anyone in Omaha passes through the hotel. We have a lot of, you know, famous dignitaries come through and, and, and people that, you know, are trying to either build their business or have their business built, but it's, it's just a, it's a place where, you know, where all that, all that happens. So I think it's a, it's a big statement, but I think really it's, it's been that way. Uh, it was that way. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's now is that too. I mean, we just, you know, we do such a good job of managing all of our, uh, all the powerful people that come into the hotel and, and give them their privacy that it becomes kind of commonplace. So, yeah, I think, I don't think most people would, I don't think, you know, anyone would really disagree that the Kempton Cottonwood is, you know, wow, it's a great place to be. Mm -hmm. And how do you tell that story through food? Well, that's a great, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to let Jason. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, when you're in a, in a district where there's so many other good restaurants and bars and, and such other good experiences, you know, you really want to kind of, um, you know, kind of build on that, right. You kind of use that as inspiration. Also, you know, use inspiration from the, the era where the hotel uh, first was flourishing, you know, and, and bring back some of those classic dishes, but in a modern way. And I think that's kind of our approach um, on a whole is to kind of reinterpret uh, some of the classic dishes that that existed back then like obviously the Chateaubriand is one of our most popular dishes in, in the steakhouse 
we use sous vide techniques on that uh, so that we get a perfect tender steak every time. So just elevating things that we knew uh, were, were, were a big hit back then. Um, but moving forward, we definitely want to modernize. You know, I kind of look at, I always, I always think of the term mid-century modern when I think of the committee steakhouse because, like, it does have this classic look, right? It's very elegant, right? But we also, we want to kind of take it into the future. I and mean, we want to use new techniques with, with old-school classic you know, French techniques uh, and, and some new American stuff and using lots of seafood and, and being sustainable and, and things of that nature. So there's just so much room for growth there because we do have such a wide audience. I mean, you see people, locals, young people, older people, like John talked about, you know, powerful, famous dignitaries. I mean, like we kind of have to touch on all these different demographics in this one space. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's also really rewarding to be able to, to, to look at your team and go, here's, here's what we need to do today. And every, and every day is different. Omaha is a town that is obviously known for its steak. I mean, you've got the staple, Absolutely. the staple steakhouses, whether it's the Drover, Gorot, mm-hmm. Spencer's, Anthony's, which is unfortunately closing. But like, this town has established steakhouses that people have been going to their entire lives. What was it like, especially for you, Jason, because you were kind of there at the beginning? to be the newcomer on the block, trying to establish this new steakhouse and and find a way to stand out, but also kind of break through all the steak noise that's going on in Omaha. Yeah, so obviously it's funny you say that because Anthony's Steakhouse was like my first job when I moved to Omaha. Oh, really? Like wow, yeah. over 10 years ago now. And uh, I didn't last long there. It wasn't really for me. Uh, it was <laughs> kind of a different thing, you know. Um, and they're all so different, right? That was kind of a classic Italian family style steakhouse. Um, and then you see places like the Drover where it's like you go in and so you're sitting in a, a wagon wheel like booth with a salad bar and it's just kind of like candlelight. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so dark. And, but that place is awesome. I love it. Uh-huh. You know, but we, we wanted to, we wanted to uh, bring the steakhouse, uh, bring it back to an elegant style. You know, there's a few places in town that do that, but I think that we have an awesome, uh, local beef vendor that we use that's that's really been great for us and you know we have the ability to to do a lot of large cut steaks which you don't really see at a ton of places in town so while the steakhouse is is a is a is a omaha staple i I think that we've kind of brought ours into just a different realm and we'll continue to push that envelope too there's no really stopping with it i know that that brandon calfit who's our chef de cuisine uh, and one of my closest friends has a lot of plans for what he wants to do and the story we want to tell moving forward. And, and, and we plan to do that together. And I, and I think that, you know, we have such a talented team behind us as well um, that, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Is there an allure to the challenge of basically taking food to the public and saying, I know what you expect from a steakhouse. You expect meat and potatoes, and I can give that to you here. But I'm going to introduce these modern techniques. I'm going to introduce sous vide. I'm going to introduce sustainably sourced products. I'm going to, you know, uh, highlight seafood a bit more. Is there an allure to that challenge? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at Omaha over the last decade since I moved here, uh, it's it's really moved away from that steak and potatoes town. You have all these brilliant younger chefs that kind of came back to Omaha from, you know, being out in the out in the rest of the country, even around the world, just training and learning techniques and bringing them home to a small town like this, and sort of moving that needle from classic steak and potatoes to more adventurous food. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely an allure. There's definitely a huge challenge in that. Um, you know, staying relevant, staying up to the times, making sure that we're constantly doing research and development on on new and exciting things to stay relevant. Right? I mean, because you can easily fall into that. You can easily fall into that category of just, you know, just another steakhouse. How do you research? What do you do to stay relevant? Well, you know, I mean, just just staying up uh, on as many, you know, up-and-coming chefs as possible, just keeping up with what's happening in the industry around the country. Uh, we do a lot of our research, like in the Chicago area, kind of what's happening in those steakhouses, because those are some of the premier steakhouses in the country, right? And that's what we want to we want to consider ourselves, not not just the best steakhouse in Omaha, but the best steakhouse in the region. So just just that drive and, and, you know, reading as much as possible and and talking with our our vendors and sourcing our beef from different places and hopefully soon taking the team to tour some of the facilities where our beef is coming from is is very important to us. And we want to try to make that happen as soon as possible. So just some things like that, you know, just to just to make sure that we're we're keeping in stride with with everyone else. Mm -hmm. John, you mentioned Mm -hmm. several of the reasons why you think the um, 
the Cottonwood Hotel is a special place yeah. and, and what it means to Omaha. But but you're someone who has worked at prestigious hotels all across the country. I not, have been not, not just in Omaha. You've been all over the place. Absolutely. What was it about this hotel specifically that drew you away from some bigger cities and some sure. of those opportunities to come to little old Omaha? That's a great question, Dan. I get that. I, I get asked that from my colleagues as well, too, that work in the larger markets like, you know, Miami or Chicago or New York or Los Angeles and they, you know, John, you, you, you seem to, uh, to continue to, to gravitate towards, you know, the Rust Belt cities or the Heartland cities. And what is that? And, and to me, I've always enjoyed being around, you know, in that small town culture and, and being around and getting to know people and getting to know who the players are. But I also, I also think that places like, like Omaha are, can be just as great as these, as these major cities. Uh, they can compete with them. Uh, you know, through through business and, and through experiences and through hotels. And, and I, I, I find it much more rewarding creating uh, great experiences and working in great hotels and, and, and being successful in these places because I think that you're, you know, I'm chasing a little bit of a legacy. And I think you can kind of build your own legacy when you come to places like this. And I think it's very rewarding. And then I think you, f- you, you get the feedback uh, immediately from, from your peers, meaning your peers you're working with here, uh, in Omaha and they, they appreciate it so much more and they, they want it to be great and they start to invest into it and they start to believe into it. And they, it, it really starts to have kind of like a, an echo and it starts to affect other parts of, of the city. So I think our goal with the hotel is, and what reason why I want is I want to be a part of something that, that invokes some change and, and, you know, it's a great place to work and then it, it can provide opportunities for other people that only not only work with us, but other small businesses. I think we have the opportunity to work when we can with some local partners in just in just in our food and beverage. So I, I, I think that echo effect is really attractive to me and really rewarding. And I, I've, I'll find myself kind of continuing to, to, to find places like Omaha and, and, and I get a lot out of it as well, too. Like I said, I, I get a tremendous amount of it, and I make these connections that I feel like are lifetime connections. And I think when you're, you know, there's only one Kempton Cottonwood in Omaha. Um, and, you know, I have the opportunity to work there. And to me, that's, that's really rewarding, as opposed to just being another big box hotel in another big city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to stand out, right? I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely a place that, that stands out a, a, among, you know, I mean, there are a few nice boutique hotels here, but. I, you know, there's just something special about that place and from the design and the story behind it and, and what we're trying to do there. I would agree. Yeah. And I think part of your answer there might play into the next question that I wanted to ask you, Jason, but uh, your culinary stops previously have been kind of all over the culinary spectrum. You've cooked ramen at Ikasan. You've done tasting menus and kind of uh, fine dining at Dolce. You've cooked Italian food at Avali. What was it about this opportunity that brought you to Hotel Steakhouse? <laughs> That's a great question, Dan. I, I don't really, I can't even answer that off the top of my head. I'd have to kind of go back and think about it. I, I feel like, you know, at that point I was, I was with, you know, with Ikasan and, and that group and we were kind of scaling and, and uh, getting ready to do a lot of things. And then COVID kind of, kind of stomped on that. You know, it just all of a sudden came to a screeching halt and, um, it was tough because I'd put a lot of effort into that and, uh, I, I saw where it was headed and it was, you know, it was, it was on the way up, right. It, it, there, there were a lot of possibilities there. So that kind of, um, that kind of threw me for a loop. I, I took some time off, um, you know, just sort of tried to disconnect a little bit and do some things that I'd been wanting to do for a while and, and, and you know, not be so immersed in this industry and kind of see what was next. And then, uh, I kind of seen like the the construction happening, um, you know, and it was kind of interested to see what was going on, was reading a little bit about what the plans were for this place and then uh, had kind of forgotten about it. And I uh, was actually working a different job I had just taken uh, at another place in Blackstone. And I was only there for a little while until I actually met uh, my my predecessor uh, who kind of came to me one day and, it, and we chatted over some drinks and he told me, you know, what was happening there. And asked me about my background and I kind of was giving him and, and, and he kind of looked up at me and was like, what are you doing here? And, uh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't answer that right away, but I, I went home and I sort of thought about it. And, uh, it, it kind of occurred to me that like, I really wasn't in, 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 in like wasn't where I was supposed to be at that point in time. It didn't feel right. Um, 
that there was probably more for me. And so I just kind of took a leap of faith and I, and I joined the team like right before they're getting ready to open the chop house. I think I, I joined the hotel in November and we opened up the chop house like right in the middle of December, right before the holidays. And wow. it, it was, it was crazy. I made several phone calls to, you know, people I'd worked with previously in town and, and uh, convinced them to come on board and happy to say that most of those people are still with us. So, uh, I was lucky. I was lucky for sure. What was that learning curve like for you? Because I, I mean, you're cooking somewhat similar food to some to what you had at some previous stops, especially some things. I'm sure at Dolce and mm-hmm. Avali, there's a little bit of crossover, but it is an entirely different menu. It's a different style of dining. It's for sure. You know, you were in more of a leadership position. What was that learning curve like as you got established at the committee? Uh, just, um, you know, I'd never run a prime steakhouse before. I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd worked with a lot of meat and beef and, and obviously like just in my travels and all of my experience, like I've cooked pretty much everything like you mentioned, but, uh, this was different. This was, you know, kind of going back to the roots, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'd learned in culinary school were some of the, the techniques that we were using in our, in our initial menu. And it just sort of felt like really cool to be back in sort of a fine dining setting. It'd been a while. Um, so yeah, there was a, it was, it was an adjustment, but I wouldn't say a, a, a huge learning curve. It's just kind of getting back into that style of, of kitchen where it's a little more intense, where it's very prep heavy. Um, you know, a lot of moving parts, um, not so much geared towards one thing. Like we were, we wanted to, we wanted to open and then we wanted to continue to expand on what we were doing. And so that was probably the biggest learning curve was like, how do we take this classic steakhouse and make it into something super, super modern and elegant? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the learning curve, no, I, I think, you know, it was fairly easy to transition. Um, I think I'd secretly just been wanting something more challenging for a while and this was it. So just kind of had to go for it. Mm-hmm. Now the committee chop house, it's, it's an upscale restaurant and that comes with a higher, a little bit of a higher price point, which also comes with higher expectations. Is it a fun challenge for you as a chef to take humble ingredients like potatoes or mushrooms or, you know, things of that nature and find a way to elevate them into something that's worth being a nine or $10 side dish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, it all starts with where we, you know, like what we want to do, having, having, having a a clear picture of, of what the end product should be and then sourcing the best ingredients, right. And then using the best techniques for that particular ingredient, finding a beautiful vessel to present it in, and, and then just executing that consistently on a day-to-day basis. And I think, you know, that's the biggest challenge, right, is, is once you have all those things in place, it's, it's continuously pushing the team to make sure that they're executing on a consistent basis. That way we can feel proud about saying, yeah, we charge $13 for a side of mushrooms, but they're delicious, beautiful mushrooms. Uh, we can get them locally. We can we can saute them in bone marrow or truffle butter or whatever the hell we want. Right. And, and turn that, you know, something that you might see as, as pedestrian into something pretty elegant and awesome. To be clear for anyone listening, the mushrooms are absolutely worth (laughs) whatever he wants to charge. Like I remember during our meal there, I mean, I, I kid you not, like in addition to the steak and dessert and salad and we had some potato dish. I don't even remember what it was at the moment, but we, our meal came with like three quarters of a pound of these mushrooms. There were yeah. so many mushrooms. So many. But they were so good. I was like, I'm not leaving any of these. I don't <laughs> care if you have to roll me out of here. Like, these are so good. I'm eating every last one. And and we did. We finished them and still felt, felt, felt good about it. And I was just like laughing to myself because I'm like, I bet this is like the simplest preparation. They're just cooking this down in butter and wine and <laughs> laughing at me as I <laughs> rave about these mushrooms, but I don't care. I love these. So I'm just going to yeah, go with it. Off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not far off. Well, Dan, I wanted to add to that. I think one of the, uh, what's our job is that, you know, when you get the bill at the end, you know, we don't want you to have sticker shock. We don't want you to look and go, oh man, we can't do this for another month. We want you to have such a good experience that when you look at the bill, you go, oh, it's worth it. Yeah, right. And I I think that when I've been to some restaurants and, you know, I've spent a little too much, I thought, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, maybe I cared three weeks, three, four weeks later, but you (laughs) didn't walk away from it feeling like, oh, that was, no, but I, you know, whether it's a good relationship with the server or the bartender or, you know, the chef came out and the food was cooked perfectly, you know, at the time I I think, yeah, it's, it's absolutely worth it. And, you know, I think that's that's our job is to, you know, I, I read a book a couple of years ago. It was given me by a GM, uh, The Experience Economy. 
you know, we just we live in an experience economy. And at all the things when we go out to a restaurant, we're not just going out just to, just for food. We're going out because it's pleasurable, because it's enjoyable, and because it's an experience. So the, the committee's an experience. So when if we if we don't provide that, um, you know, and that guest is, oh man, that was too much money. I don't really think we want to come back. Then we've we've kind of failed. So Jason and the and the chef, and then our um, our our general manager Dan as well too, or committee manager, I should say. He, they take it serious. We try. We bring in staff that takes it serious to the point where their every experience has got to be a good one. And that's really kind of our our goal and our job at the committee. Yeah, we're all young and hungry, and it's great. And, and we want to make a name for ourselves with this too, because you know this is a huge opportunity for for everyone involved. And you know it, the the front of house staff does an awesome job down there. I mean, it it like I said, it was rocky at first, and we we had a lot of speed bumps, and we just kept pushing through. And you know, we put the right people in the right place, and and now you can really start to see it thriving. And it's just been awesome to watch because when I first started there, you know it. it it, we, it needed a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. There was just, we didn't have, we didn't have enough people. Um, you know, it's at points we didn't have the right people and it's just sort of, you know, the evolution of the committee has just been really special. Mm-hmm. Now I want to be perfectly clear because before I mentioned the higher price point, absolutely 100% worth it. Like the, the, there, there was, I'd like, I don't want yeah. anyone to listen to this and be like, eh, I can't, yeah. I can't go here. Yeah. No, the, like there was no sticker shock when our bill came Thank because it was a great experience. And, and I want to get into this more later, so we'll stick a pin in it. But the experience went so far beyond the food. Like, if, if it just ended with having a great meal, yeah. yes, the food was fantastic. But it extends to the service. It extends to the ambiance. It extends to, you, like you mentioned, the chef came out and he lit our dessert on fire right in front of our <laughs> table. It's such a simple thing that requires... <laughs> 15 seconds of his time, but that makes it feel so much worth, like extra worth it for diners. So I just, I just want to clarify anyone listening. Don't think that this is not worth it because it absolutely is. Now I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. Did you know that just 1% of all cattle raised in the U S is Piedmontese or that this red meat is so healthy that it's similar in micronutrients to Atlantic salmon and chicken breast. Rare, healthy, and most importantly, delicious. That's a trio that just can't be beat. I'm so confident that you'll get hooked on certified Piedmontese beef like I did that I want to help you try it. When you visit Piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, you'll receive 25% off your order. That's 25% off steaks, burgers, brats, sausages, and even bacon. Yeah, I said it. Beef bacon. It'll change your life. Use my promo code to score a great deal and experience why certified Piedmontese is such a big deal today. And now, back to my guest. I kind of want to get into you two's relationship a little bit more because, Jason, you mentioned there were kind of some rocky periods and there were multiple people who were in John's position who came in and out. And now John came in and, and you guys really hit the ground running and clearly have a good thing going. What was that first conversation like between you two? Oh, I think we had a we had dinner at at Dario's. We did. Ooh, yeah, that, we that's did. A good yeah. place to start. Yeah, yeah. John was in town and uh, sort of, you know, I guess was being vetted for this position. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a hilarious process when you interview for any hotel job because yeah. it, it goes on for like thirteen to fourteen hours. <laughs> There's like one or two breaks, and then you end it by having you usually have like a dinner. Uh, and I had a dinner with our general manager and, and Jason, and it was off site. So it's it's funny. It's like it's like going on a date. You try to figure out it's a, a long like, date. Yeah, it's like, like it is. It's like 12, 14 hour days with like a 30 minute break. And then you kind of figure out if you like each other and uh, you just you just kind of talk it out. And that's really how it. Yeah, was. I mean, I, I was like, you know, Steve had come to me and, and said, hey, we're going to take this guy out to dinner. I want you to, you know, tell me what you think. And <laughs> I'm like, here I'm waiting for another, you know, guy that's in his, you know, 50s or 60s who's yeah. worked at like 18 different Hilton's or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And that just has this whole attitude of like oh this is what i did here and you know and like i don't want to hear what you did back at every other hotel what are you going to do what are you going to do for us right and i think john kind of came in with that mentality um and we had a good conversation and it felt really natural so i think that was you know that was probably the the 
for me, it was exciting to see that somebody was going to come in and let, and really just focus on the task at hand rather than, you know, try to impress everybody with what he's previously done. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, was, that was refreshing. I would say this, and, and I think there's, I don't want to call any of my colleagues out, but there are certain jobs where, like, I kind of call them, like, retirement jobs. Like, you take a job at a spot that's kind of, you know, Maybe it has a beach and maybe it already, you know, so drives in people and the menu's the menu and you're kind of direct and you just, you clock out and, you know, you don't really do too much or you, you take a a job like this in Omaha where you're, you're going to every day, you're going to work to build an experience. You're going to build up a department. And I think you have to, as a, anytime you take a job as a job candidate, you got to ask yourself, am I willing to put the work in? So if you're here for just a vacation and just to collect a paycheck, this is this isn't the place for you, and I I don't and I don't want to I'm not calling out the previous uh, uh, gentlemen or uh, that were in the role, but you know if the, you want to come with the right energy, but you also I think as a leader you have to look at who's around you, and if you have talent, like we have a lot of talent at the hotel. There, there's no need to micromanage that talent, and I think that some of the, the previous leaders I will say were micromanaging a little bit, and I, and I think that you know you in this t- day of age you got to let your your leadership, your junior leadership, you got to let them just do their jobs and you got to give them, you hired them for a reason, you know, you hired them because they're talented or they're successful or they're smart or you like their personality. So, you know, give them direction, but just let them, let them, let them breathe, let them breathe. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that was missing. And I think now we have that, we have a bunch of leaders on staff that all have good personalities and gel and they, they all have a sense of what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So now it's just, just directing it into one vision. You know, we're trying to go down, one street altogether. We may go right and left, but we're trying to get to one destination. I think it's kind of my job is to, is to work with Jason and the team. And this is the direction we're going. You know, we want to use your abilities, we want to use your talent, we want to use your experience, your creativity, but we're trying to get here. And I think with the committee, which is really great, is we're trying to get to that one destination is that it's a mo- mid-century modern version of a steakhouse. So we're always going to have an incredible beef program. We're always going to have those sides, those mushrooms you talked about. But we're going to start to bring in, and I think Jason's de- developing a great seafood program. And that's amazing to have in a steakhouse is that when you have that guest who is, who is drugged to the, to, the, to the steakhouse, and they're like, oh, God, I hope the chicken's good. You know, I may have to get the chicken. Though you have this amazing seafood tower. Or you, have, you have an incredible piece of fish that was just pulled out of the water like six, you know, six to 12 hours ago or 12 to 14 hours ago. You come for that. And then you can come to a chop house and think, I, I had an incredible piece of halibut. And I don't feel like, you know, I'm, I don't have to take a nap afterwards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's – and, and that's, so there's certain people that, you know – and we so we really want every it's an, it's inclusive. We really want we want to kind of in, increase the inclusiveness of it and, and bring people that come to a steakhouse that just that don't get a steak. Okay, I want to roll out the red carpet for you based off that response, Jason. What what's what's special about uh, the committee's seafood program? What what excites you about it? Well, it's just again. Um it starts with sourcing the best ingredients. So we have a we have the privilege to be able to work with a lot of different uh, vendors around the country to to source the best possible stuff. Uh, and we like to go big. You know, we don't really mess around when it comes to that. Like we had a, you know, we use the Australian rock lobster tails, which is literally like the biggest thing you've ever seen. It's like over a pound and a half of lobster tail. <laughs> oh gosh. It's, um, amazing. it's amazing. You know, and, and Brandon will do some crazy stuff. Like he'll he'll do a lobster Oscar and stuff the lobster tail with crab and asparagus and caper berries and then drench it in, in hollandaise sauce so like that's that's what's fun for us i think we can just kind of like do some extravagant stuff that you won't you know otherwise wouldn't see uh at other places like it, it just it, a lot of this large format dining it, it's just fun it's just fun to watch like that size of a lobster tail go out in a french mavier pan and people are like holy cow yeah it's like, great. What, what am i going to do with this so but we have a lot of plans moving forward and and, and with with that it comes a lot of challenges especially with you know the ability to source sustainably um, to, to consistently get some of the things that, that we love to use. You know, unfortunately right now we're struggling with our king crab. It's, it's, uh, it's been overfished and the, the market is just crazy on it right now. So we're having to kind of pivot. Uh, so Brandon's been doing some awesome stuff like smoking mussels and clams and making some different like crab salads and lobster salads to sort of, you know, so that we can replace these awesome king crab legs that everyone loves with, with other stuff that, that is equally as delicious and, uh, has a little more thought and a little more work into it. So uh, it's just, it's incredible to be able to, to, to use these ingredients. Um, you know, not everyone gets to do that. And that's the, the awesome thing about running a prime steakhouse with, with great seafood is, is, you know, it's difficult sometimes to, to, 
you know, yes, you talk about the price point, but you know, we're, we're using a premium product. So that that's, you know, we feel good about it. You just touched on this a little bit, but I think there's a, there's an interesting tangent, tangential discussion to have here in that, especially during the pandemic, there have been a lot of shortages of certain products or certain products have jumped in price due to due to shortages due to availability whatever it may be and you just kind of mentioned having to adjust the menu on the fly maybe you're not getting the king crab legs but there are you know a couple other dishes you can supplement your menu with what has that challenge been like and and how has your team adjusted to it well i think i think the the easiest way to answer that is just to know that that they are constantly there's a constant conversation happening within the team about like, what can we do next and what ideas can we bring to the table? And if we have to pivot, how do we do it? And what's the, what's the best way to go about it? Um, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like there's a, there's enough experience there for, for us to make conscious decisions about, you know, what changes we make and how quickly we can make them just based on on the demand right like what what do people really want what what do we think will work i mean and we constantly we constantly meet and you know menu development is a big thing and uh we try to get everybody involved in that you know from everybody from sous chefs to line cooks to prep cooks everyone kind of has uh a little bit of motivation to 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 make decisions to help us make the right decisions so it's not just one person right it's it's everyone it's, it takes a village uh so that 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 eases the the pressure for sure uh, John, going back to when mm-hmm. you first started at the hotel, you, you've spoken extensively about the things that excited you about the opportunity coming in. Yeah. But clearly there were some opportunities to improve processes and improve certain things about the hotel. What were you really excited to when you got the job, dig in and really start to mold and change? Sure. I So, Dan, to me, it was it, the hotel, like I said, had I think it had great – young leadership and it had a had had for the most part had a really good passion staff uh, I was excited to put in the systems and, and we're still in kind of the process of that but we're we're putting in structure and systems and, and having so great people can't just operate alone they need a good system to work in so that really excited me from putting in things like like stronger inventory processes and controls and you know, how we look at even something like how we look at our menu development, when, when we roll out a new menu, what's our timeline, how we build uh, events out. You know, it's great to come. There's we, we have great brainstorming sessions, but when, you know, can we put dates down? We're going to when are we going to roll this out? When, when are we going to do these things? And I think to me is that's that's an exciting because I saw the potential. Uh, and I think a lot of times I've been in situations where I've saw they've had good structure, but they didn't have talent. So this place was, was, was saturated with talent. And I think the culinary team especially, and what really surprised me is that, I, I said this before, is that there was such a strong culinary presence here. And a lot of hotels and restaurants, because of the impact of COVID-19, are very thin. And there isn't a lot of chefs. And there, the, the, if you ask executive chefs, uh, old, especially older ones and you know ones that have been in the industry, they're starting to feel a little bit depressed about the industry. That that younger people aren't taking the opportunity and they aren't they aren't uh, coming into the kitchens and you know they're having to work a little harder. We don't really have that here. We have we have we have we have Jason here as a, as a younger executive chef and he's got a he's got a kind of band of merry men and women who are kind of following him and they're they're excited to be there and they're trying every day. So. That's what excited me because I knew that I wouldn't have to, you know, I'm not an executive chef. So I wanted a great executive chef, but I also know it just it's beyond that. You need a great culinary team. So that and then, you know, yeah, but like I said, putting in the structure, that's exciting. At this point in my career, I, that, I find that I get a lot out of that because I gain a lot of knowledge from, from, from helping build a successful business in a lot of ways. So I would say that to anyone that's interested in the industry, um, you know, it's you learn how to run a business. When you work in a restaurant and you really pay attention, you really you really are a business operator. And that's a skill set that is is something that you take with you your rest of your life. And, and you kind of you, you have a stronger understanding of I think of the world around you when you're operating a business. Especially a business that has to do with like, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Like tangible items. Like we're talking about, you know, not just a, you know, we're, we're t- he's talking about mushrooms and we're talking about if the price changes, we change the price. So it's great to work in that industry where things are constantly changing. You're working with commodities and are constantly moving and you got to, you know, like an example that he gave about Brandon 
Brandon doing something with the muscles just shows that a chef's like, he's, re- he's pivoting. He's reacting. He's not just going to put an X on the menu and say, we're out of king crabs. Thanks so much for coming. He's like, yeah, we're out of king crab, but you get here, try his muscles. So, you know, we'll continue to do that. And so that's what's, that's what's really great. And that's what I like about it. And we do the same thing on the, on the, in the front of the house. We have a, got a great uh, manager, Dan. We've had so many out-of-stocks of wine, you know. We, have, we carry a lot of European wines, right, a lot of French and Italian wines. Well, there's, there's problems. They, they can't get the wines over, and, the, you know, the, uh, the vineyards are having trouble producing, and they're running out of vintages. And, and so our manager, Dan, has been in there, and he's like, well, if you don't have this, what do you have that's similar? Okay, you're out of the similar one. Or are you out of the one that's similar to the first? And it just goes on and on and on. And we're, so that's, that's great to see. They were not just giving up and saying, oh, we're out of that wine, and we don't have any substitutions. So it's great to work with people that care enough that they're not just going to be okay with like, oh, like I said, oh, it's out. And it doesn't feel choppy, right? And, and, and what I mean is, like, it feels like we when we pivot and when we evolve, it, it just it feels organic, right? Because That's we're true. not just, like, doing anything on a whim. Like, we talk about it, we brainstorm it, we've put a plan in place, and John's been instrumental in this. And, and, and then we kind of, you know, take a step back. Okay, how do we, how do we move forward? And then we just do it. And it, I, we, don't, we don't ever want the guest to feel stressed out, right? You don't ever want anyone to notice that, that something may have changed. So just a, about building things and adjusting and pivoting and, and evolving organically mm-hmm. is is important. It's not just a straight 90-degree turn, but it's kind yeah. of a gradual turn where yeah. the yeah, guests can't necessarily see it happening. It's funny you said that. I had, I had a great colleague that said to me one time, when I was on a big build project with him, he said, we're turning a cruise ship. Uh, what is it, 180 degrees while the guests are still on. Oh, yeah. And if you ever see the cruise ship turn, it turns really slow. Uh-huh. And that's what it's like. Because, you know, some restaurants will close. You know, they put a new menu out. They'll go, hey, closer week, new menu rolling out, staff training. The hotel can never do that. Mm-hmm. We could never close a restaurant. So we're doing all these things while the, while, you know, while the guests are on. So we're turning. So the, the challenge is, like Jason said, is that you, you don't want any hiccups. You don't want to see, you know, uh, any, any caution tape up or work in progress signs. So you have to work a little bit harder. And sometimes you have to throw a little bit of smoke and screens you know, and, 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 and kind of use your personality. And I think COVID-19 has taught a lot of hoteliers that they have to use their personality comes out a lot more. And it's like a little dose of truth with mixed with a little bit of like, Hey, you know, it's not no, but we'll find a creative way to, to say yes, we'll come up with something. So I think in some sense, that's a positive that's come out of COVID is that you've had some, you've had some people figure out how to become better, better business operators. And they're a little, they've kind of developed a little bit more leather skin. Like I have a little bit more of a leather skin. I've worked through COVID. Uh, it was never laid off. I did. I stayed the whole time and it was, you had to find out, you know, it, it, like you couldn't run this, this food special. So then you started running this, this, this food, you know, you couldn't, I remember I had a, we had a restaurant, we were, we were selling a ton of hamburgers and we had, we stopped doing that. We got really into pizza and we started, you know, making a lot of pizzas and making a lot of money on it. And, and, you know, so then you just kind of devote your energy to that and then you wait until you can make more burgers. And it's just, you know, that's, what's really great about, you know, I think business operators is that they, they don't really give up. I'm sure that there is, a lot of stress that comes with that, with that right. constant change that COVID has brought, with constantly having to to try and think two steps ahead. But is there also kind of a thrill that comes with it and that you never really get stuck in like what I've heard some professionals describe to me is like that restaurant rut where you're just cooking the same 15 things yeah. every day, time after time, every day is the same I know it's weird to like, I'm sure it's just awful to like, to be like, Oh, we we can't get King crab legs anymore. Like that sucks. Yeah. But it also, it varies things up and allows you to be creative. Right. Is there a, is there a positive side to that? You want to, you want to, you want to jump on it? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to become complacent, right. Or get bored or, or, you know, fall into a slump or a rut. And I think that's, you know, and, and it's happened to me, I, I guarantee it has happened to hundreds of my colleagues where you just sort of feel stuck in something. And then, you know, that's what's so important, I think, about giving uh, the people around you sort of the freedom and like and motivating them and enabling them to, to bring forth their ideas and their because like the more people you have involved in the process, I think it's easier to constantly evolve. Right. I, I don't think that you if, if it was just me all the time making all of the decisions about what we were going to serve, you know, or, or if it was always Brandon, if it was always Jack, 
just saying, no, this is what we're going to do and not getting everybody else involved. I think like it's easier to fall into a pattern like that, but because we're able to allow people, because we, we have the faith in our staff, we, we know that they're talented and we know that they care, giving them the opportunity to have a say um, in, in the things that we do moving forward is, is so important mm-hmm. and, and helps us, you know, never fall into that just complacency. Mm-hmm. Now we've gone far too long into this episode without talking about just the beauty of the committee chop house, but I want to, I want to specifically touch on that here. I mean, this is just like, it is a stunning restaurant. Like from Thank the moment you, that beautiful. you walk into it, you're kind of taken aback. It has like a, this elegant, like, I don't know if I'm describing this right, but to me, it felt like it was like a 1930s vibe. Like you feel yeah. like you're kind of stepping back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, I, you know, like we mentioned, you've worked at just elegant, awesome hotels all over the USA. So you have some very good insight into this, I think. How important is that ambiance and the feeling that guests get when they walk into a restaurant? And even as they're just sitting there waiting for their food or as they're eating their food, but separate from the food itself, like how important is that feeling to establishing a great meal? Oh, it, Dan, it's, it's next to the food. It's just, it's just as important. I mean, it's so important. It's the, the visuals and the feel of the restaurant really sets the tone. I mean, to the, that restaurant, what I would love about it is that if you're having a tough day or you're not feeling at your best, when you go, when you come into the committee or especially you come into the Cottonwood, you should be, I'm given a breath of confidence and a little bit of style so if I didn't feel like too stylish that day or I feel, eh, you know, maybe I'm not at my best. When I walk into that space, I'm, I'm, that space really just kind of brings me up. And, it, and I've, I've seen, it's funny, I've seen people sit in that restaurant and they kind of start giving that model look, you know, they kind of start like, <laughs> they, 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 I don't know if they're taken back to like the they're rat like, back days. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of got their whiskey glass and they kind of think like this is kind of a GQ photo shoot here. Right. It and, makes sense too. Like you, yeah. you walk in there and you sit down, like I want to order a big steak and a big rat. Yeah, it's uh-huh. just a feel. And a big and cab just, and just like sit and yeah. You're like a power burger. Yeah, you feel like a power burger. And I've seen, and it's so it's just the the women are listening. It's not just a masculine feel. Women also have a certain feel when they're in there. There's a stylish feel. There's a luxury feel. But it's not something in some places I've worked. It's not a Ritz Carlton, right? It's not that that feel. It's 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 a contemporary feel. So I feel like the room really is kind of, and I'm speaking of the Cottonwood, but the committee as well, too, that kind of matches what's what's going on. So that mid-century look, I feel like, is really in. So I feel like when I see guests in the restaurant, they take on a kind of little bit of a personality. And I, so I think that really is, is so important that we continue to kind of uh, monitor that experience and make sure it's good and that we take very good care of it, of, of the visual feel. So when you're sitting in a space like that, you may, you may order more. You know, you may order an extra side. You may get two sides of mushrooms. You may take one home. But, you know, you may really, you, uh, you, you may go for it a little bit. So uh, I'm so glad that we had a place that was designed that way. I'm really glad that it doesn't look, uh, doesn't have a franchise look, that it feels unique and it feels organic. And I can tell you that my first step in there, I thought I'd see the Rat Pack. Like I thought, I'd, there, I thought Frank Sinatra would be in the corner, you know, having with, with his crew because it feels like that. And that's to me, is an error that I've always really like – appreciated and, and really liked. And, and I know that our, our guests do too. I've seen it where I've had couples in their 60s and 70s right across from couples in their, in their 20s, and they both are enjoying the space equally. So it's a time period that I think people kind of gravitate towards, and I think Omaha does a good job of kind of like preserving that. Mm-hmm. You know, with the, with the with the area neighborhoods as well too. It's a lot. There's a lot of places in Omaha like are kind of like untouched, and I think that really kind of helps. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that really adds to the atmosphere, especially when we're talking about steakhouses, and we mentioned this a little bit earlier, is a lot of steakhouses are very dark places. They're just yeah. very dimly lit, and I've I I don't know. Like that doesn't do a lot for me. Maybe some. People like that vibe and like that ambience. I'm sure there's a reason those steakhouses do it. But the committee is very much not like that. It is very brightly lit. Mm-hmm. It's it's lively, I mm-hmm. feel like. What was the intentionality behind that? The lighting? Well, we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the lighting. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. <laughs> That's a little of an inside joke. But, yeah. but, uh, but I mean in a... In a 
But I was, I was, I really, when it came down to it, it really, Dan, that's really what it was. It was to, it was to make it feel lively. And we're not done with the lighting. So when I, we were joking, like we, we're working, that, that's a, that's a WIP. That's a work in progress. We're, we're constantly looking at, okay, it's 630. What position is the sun in? What, what's the lighting do now? What's the lighting do later? Because it, it's, you know, it's affecting, uh, I think it affects buying patterns and I think it affects our, our guest experience. So, but I can tell you that, yeah, the original thought was to not, it was a modern take. So it did not be a super dark, dark room that it had light. And I think we have, you know, that beautiful red and we wanted that red to shine and we wanted that floor to kind of come up. And uh, so I, I think that was done, that was done purposely. And I think we'll continue to kind of keep it bright, but I think we're also going to look for ways to, you know, we're going to, we're going to, anything you, anything you, uh, you want to do well, you have to put a lot of work into it. So with the lighting, we're going to really start to continue to dive into that. And it may drop a little bit as it gets darker or get brighter. We're just going to keep kind of keep playing with it. That's one of those aspects of the restaurant industry that I, I just, I find so fascinating. I'm sure there's things like this in every single job, but like when diners come in, they might notice that the lighting is a certain level. I bet 90% don't even think yeah. about it. Don't give it a thought. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, just from the looks you guys just gave each other, there have been many conversations many. about so this many. very topic. Like so much discussion has gone into this thing that is very important but most people don't even notice. Yeah. What is another aspect of the committee chop house to you guys that it really helps set the restaurant apart, but it's like such a subtle thing. It's, it's not in your face, but it's such a subtle thing that it really draws out that experience. Well, you know, we're talking about letting, uh, we candles are a big part of the dinner dining experience. So that really, you know, but other, I would say other than, Lighting. I mean, we do focus on our music playlist is kind of important too. So, you know, what the volume of our music is, what what's on the playlist. Uh, so right now our playlist is actually kind of really eclectic. It, it includes like modern takes on like Motown music with a little bit of like sometimes like folk rock with like uh, like a little bit of like a backbeat. So it's not – sometimes you go into, like, a steakhouse and it'll be, like, traditional jazz music or maybe they'll just go, like, temporary jazz and make it very smooth. Our playlist is is not that at all. And our playlist is, is uh, has music that has uh, lyrics and it has vocals, where a lot of steakhouses you won't. You, you'll barely recognize the music, but our music does kind of uh, – does play a part. I would say another uh, area is that our entrance. Entrance is really important because – our owner said this. He, he, someone asked him how important the committee was, and he says it's the only other. Uh, What's well, the only restaurant that has its own entrance? So the hotel has its entrance, and the steakhouse has its entrance. So that's how important it is that it has its own experience. So when you come in to the committee, and if you come in from uh, from side street, you don't even really even see the hotel. We have a beautiful. Uh, the committee room sign, we have the clover, and then we have the front door. So that's an experience that's really important because, you know, right now we want to, we don't have a red carpet. We want to put out a nice little red carpet or a beautiful black carpet with the logo on there. So we need to kind of dial that up. That's something that people maybe not uh, really take too seriously. They, they won't, they'll kind of miss that. But for us, that's an area where like, okay, how do we dial up the, your first walk into the restaurant? You know, because that's a that's an important part of the experience is when a guest first comes first in. First impression. First impression. What where's the host stand located? You know, what's the host wearing? What's you know, what how are they greeted? And I think those are those are things that you know we continue to have conversations with as much as we have about the lighting. Anything you want to add from a uh, I was sorry. just thinking of just, just the service in general. Um, you know, the look of the you know, whatever the servers are wearing and like it's casual, right? It's up to like an upscale casual, but the service isn't stuffy, right? It's attentive, but it's not overbearing. I think that that sets the experience too, when you can kind of just feel like you're, you're sitting in a booth or whatever, and you got candle, you know, the candles are lit, the lighting is right, the music is on, but the service is also flowing, you know, where, where servers aren't uh, running around hectically. It's just, it feels casual. It, it almost goes unnoticed um, around the room. To me, that's, that's important as well. And that's not so much the design, but more just the way that, you know, it's managed the way that, that the, the service is flowing. Mm -hmm. Now, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation, but before I let you guys out of here, I've got mm -hmm. two questions that I like to ask just about everybody who comes on this podcast. Cause I think they help provide some perspective into the hospitality industry. Here's the first one. 
What is the one thing about the hospitality industry that you think most diners don't know or don't understand that you wish they did? Uh, Probably go a lot of different yeah. directions with that wow. one. Wow. Damn, we need 15 more minutes. But, uh, okay. I would say what I would, what I would love for our, our, our beautiful, wonderful diners to learn is that if, when, you, when you cancel a reservation, that really helps. So if you're not going to come, <laughs> cancel your reservation. So you, I think it's, no shows are really tough because it puts restaurant staff in a very awkward position because there's kind of this understanding of like we give you like a 10 to 15 minute grace period because like restaurant tours like really don't want to not give away your reservation you know there's that old joke where like the host is like oh you didn't show up you're out of here now i've never seen a restaurant manager or a host do that we have a big heart and i think when you don't show up to the restaurant it it hurts because one, it's like you didn't call. What happened? We call your cell phone. We don't know if you're coming, and we give you that awkward 15 minutes. Another guest comes up in front of me. Can I have that table? Or did they? So, if you're gonna cancel, cancel, mm-hmm. and make sure that you do that. Because, and I think that's one thing that uh, that diners can learn is that you know that that helps us. And it, you know, sometimes we'll if we don't know. Let's say you have a ten top and you didn't cancel it. We may keep an extra staff member on just for you. And they don't show, and then who takes the blame? We take the blame. So we get through it. We handle it. That's part of like our leadership. But that would that would that would be something that I think they don't know that that if they learned would would really help. Just just hitting that cancel button. There you go. That's my I, PSA I, on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I, good, I love it. Yeah. I actually like. I've heard some people complain. You know, over the past year, it's become more popular for restaurants to have you enter a credit card number or something now when you make a reservation. Yeah. 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 They do. I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. So Holding people's credit cards hostage now, cause that's the only way you can give them. That's how you keep them accountable. Yeah. My, mine's more just in general um, for, for the diners, just understand the, the landscape that we're in the current, you know, the current situation that the industry is in with, you know, supply chains and, you know, COVID and the pandemic in general and about how, you know, people are, are, are required to, to take time away if, the, you know, there's been an exposure, if, you know what I mean, or, or if they actually did get sick. Like, this is a group of people um, that, are, that are working really, really hard to deliver an awesome experience. And now we have this pandemic that's really just thrown everything for a loop. And just be understanding of, of that and understand that, you know, the health and safety of our employees is, import- is just as important to us as, as the guest experience. So, you know, if, if things may seem at, at times out of whack or understaffed or you wait that little bit of extra time for something that, you know, it's probably not because we're not doing our jobs. It's probably because we're, we're re- having to react and, and work even harder because we don't have all the people that we typically have or we don't have all of the ingredients that we typically have. And and it's out of our control, so that that would be mine. It just just to kind of you know, I think it's gotten better over time. But I mean, I remember at first, like when things shut down and then reopen, and, and people were just like mad, <laughs> and we're <laughs> like, you know, like we're all dealing with this from you know a, a professional level, not just a you know. Yeah, we realized how much people love going out because they started taking their frustrations out on. <laughs> on the people that were that were running the restaurants, yeah. Um, but people love it. And then I would just add to Dan, like, t- uh, tip the the coat check person too. If you, if you, <laughs> okay, tip your coat check. You actually look much better if you throw him a couple bucks. He, they love it. You'll you'll look good. You know, I I always tip the coat check person, and then you know I don't. I seem to never have a problem getting the table when I go to my favorite restaurant. They're always like, oh, John's here. You know. He's got a coat on as well, too, so I'm getting a couple bucks. So, yeah, tip well, the coat check. It's like we were talking about earlier. When you go to a restaurant like this, you, you feel elegant and fancy and everything. You, you know, yeah. you, you feel confident. Yeah. A, a confident, fancy person doesn't stiff the coat check guy. Yeah. So yeah, just throw him a couple bucks. That's exactly. Just, yeah. just go all the way into the experience. Right. All right, and to get you guys out of here on a positive note, favorite part about being in the hospitality industry. Oh, okay. Want me to go first? Sure. People, yeah, that's, that I, was my and, answer. So. I mean, really, it's the guests, it's the it's your coworkers, it's everybody. 
when you're working in a great hotel like our hotel and it's humming, there's really no better place to be. I mean, I would, I wouldn't be, you know, maybe, uh, honestly, I don't know where I, where else I'd want to be. When you're in a hotel and things are really going well and there's, it's, it's busy and the place is humming and there's great vibes and the guests are happy and you're having great conversations, that's the best experience. And I think that's what kept me in the industry is that, and you're working with such a diverse group of people and everyone's kind of involved in that same experience. That to me is like, there's no better place really, really to be is that when people are at their best, that's a great, that's when you really want to be there. And I think that's what's kept in me. Like I said, kept me in the industry. So that's my favorite part as a people. Yeah. My answer is the same. Um, you know, you, you talked about, John mentioned my band of merry men yeah. earlier. I like to think of them as like a ship full of swashbuckling pirates. You know? like, <laughs> they really are. They're just awesome. Right. They, we just, we have a blast. We have such a good time and, and, uh, you know, we're mostly behind the scenes and, um, kind of the heartbeat of the hotel. And, and that just makes me smile. It's just, it's awesome. It's awesome to watch every day to see everyone like learn and grow and, and, and just like be the best version of themselves, I think is probably the most rewarding thing. Well, it's awesome to watch from the outside, having the outsider perspective as well, because everything that I've experienced at, uh, at the Cottonwood and, and at the committee chop house specifically has been very smooth. Just a excellent time. I would highly encourage anyone listening to this, go check it out. Like make, make it a special experience. You're going to feel something as soon as you walk in here and then just the meal itself we didn't get a chance to talk about the baked alaska get the baked alaska that's the <laughs> one thought that i will leave everyone with it's dinner and a show get the baked alaska once again thanks to my guest for a great show today as a reminder don't forget to go to piedmontese.com and use my promo code hoppin that's my last name h-o-p-p-e-n hoppin to get 25 percent off your order And as always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.